there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch. Because this is the Turn It Up to 11 NBA Playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA Playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. There is a story about an artist named Luke Maspero. The year was 1852. The city, Paris. The home of the Louvre. The home of the Mona Lisa. Maspero was a young artist, new to the lifestyle. But his love was deep. Like all of those who one day hoped to become great, it was his obsession with the craft that drove him. Like many before him, the Louvre became his sanctuary. He would spend hours there every day. One painting in particular held his attention. Leonardo's mysterious masterwork. The Mona Lisa's smile enraptured him. And study he did. He observed. He pondered the look on the woman's face. For hours on end, for days at a time. But on June 23rd, something changed. Something snapped. He paced around in the hotel room he had been renting for weeks. His mind was lost, racing backwards down the centuries to the 1500s, to the age of Leonardo and his unknown muse. Maspero felt he was left with no other recourse. So he wrote a letter, addressed to no one in particular. He opened his hotel window and edged himself out onto the balcony. And then... Maspero leaped to his own death. And his note? This is what it said. For years I have grappled with her smile. Today, I prefer to die. Is this a Parisian tall tale, or a truth of history that has somehow made its way to us? Whatever the tale of Luke Maspero is, it has become forever intertwined with the legend of the Mona Lisa. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this podcast, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every week, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm your host, Claire. This is our final episode on the Mona Lisa, the most famous and mysterious painting in the world. If you like the show, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast directory, 
A new episode comes out every Thursday. While you're there, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star review. It seems simple, but it really helps. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, on Twitter at Parcast Network, and at Parcast.com. As we learned last week, Maspero wasn't the only one to develop such an intense fascination and yearning for the answer to the mysteries of Leonardo da Vinci's portrait. One of the most incessant questions is, who is the Mona Lisa? We covered many theories. Was it a mistress of Giuliano di Lorenzo de' Medici, a notorious womanizer and a patron of Leonardo da Vinci? Was it perhaps a vision of Leonardo's lost mother, backed by the Tuscan valleys of his youth? Or maybe it wasn't a woman at all, but Leonardo's rumored lover and assistant, Salai. There are even art historians and researchers who believe the shape of the Mona Lisa's face corresponds to Leonardo's only rumored self-portrait, Portrait of a Man in Red Chalk. Of course, the most prominent theory is that it is a portrait of Lisa del Giocondo, the simple wife of a Tuscan nobleman. At the end of the first episode, we posited that there is a position that might synthesize a few of these ideas into one, the two versions theory. This was the idea that Leonardo painted two Mona Lisas in his life. The first, around 1503, was modeled on Lisa del Giocondo, but left unfinished and lost to time. The second, perhaps inspired by the first, was made in 1517 at the request of Giuliano de' Medici. The two versions theory posits this is the version hanging in the Louvre today. And yet, why put so much stock in conspiracies and strange mysteries like this? Isn't the Mona Lisa just a simple Renaissance portrait? But Leonardo was anything but a simple man. The mystery around Leonardo fed into the mystery of the Mona Lisa's creation. This week, we plan to follow this mystery to the very end. We'll track the rise of the Mona Lisa's fame from just the French intelligentsia to a global audience. We'll observe how that led to even more thorough investigations into the painting's past, involving advanced technology and even wilder theories. But we will also chase down the final breakthroughs that lead us to the real truth about the meaning of the Mona Lisa. As we said, the unknown Luc Maspero was far from the only Frenchman teased by the Louvre's best-known work. 1800s art critic and infamous drug-addled novelist Théophile Gautier had this to say about our favorite painted lady. Quote, This sphinx of beauty who smiles so mysteriously, her divinely ironic gaze full of unknown pleasures seems to pose a yet unsolved riddle to the admiring centuries. End quote. French historian Jules Michelet waxes poetic. Quote, you are fascinated and troubled as if by a strange magnetism. She attracts me, revolts me, consumes me. I go to her in spite of myself as the bird to the snake. End quote. The Mona Lisa has been a tempting figure for many, but one incident in 1911 best illustrates her pull. It was a warm August morning. One of the first guests of the day wandered into the wing where the Mona Lisa is kept. Instead of the painting, though, they found four iron pegs empty of the frame they usually held aloft. Guards were lackadaisical. It had probably just been taken away for a cleaning, 
or maybe a promotional photo shoot. But as the first hours of the day ticked by and the museum was searched, the truth became clear. The Mona Lisa was gone. It had been stolen. The Louvre shut down for an entire week. It was as if the museum itself went into shock in 1911. The city was put on high alert, and the search began. High-profile arrests were made immediately. French poet Guillaume Apollinaire was a noted hater of the Louvre, who openly advocated for burning the elitist institution to the ground. When he was taken in and interrogated, he denied the claim vehemently, instead passing suspicion onto fellow art radical Pablo Picasso. But the Parisian authorities were wasting their time. The painting hadn't been stolen by some famous radical or jealous artist. The thief's name was Vincenzo Perugia. An Italian native, he was a low-skilled employee at the Louvre. And for two years, Perugia hid the Mona Lisa in a small nook under the stove in his humble city apartment. His heist had been a simple one. He simply hid in the broom closet until the museum closed, made his way to the Mona Lisa's chamber, plucked it off the wall, and walked out the front door with the frame hidden under his coat. But why? Why take such a huge risk? Like Maspero, was it the bewitching stare of the Mona Lisa? Was it some secret conspiracy? A move by the supposed Priory of Sion to hide the secrets contained in the painting? Some theorized that the true mastermind was Eduardo di Falfierno, a known art thief who simultaneously with the robbery commissioned six copies of the Mona Lisa to be made. Perhaps he wanted to sell these at inflated prices to desperate parties who believed they were buying the original. Yet it seems that Di Valfierno was just profiteering off the situation. All evidence points to Perugia being a lone wolf. A lone wolf and an Italian patriot. Perugio believed that the French had stolen this piece of Italian history and profited off of it. He was merely reclaiming it for the homeland for the true legacy of Leonardo. But following the theft, he was paralyzed with fear. The painting remained beneath his stove for two years, unseen by anyone. Even Perugia feared pulling it out. It felt like he didn't deserve to look upon it until he had determined a way to get it home. In 1913, he finally took the plunge. Betting that a fellow Italian would connect with his mission, Perugia contacted Giovanni Poggi, the director of the famed Uffizi Gallery in Florence. Poggi didn't know what to think, so he reached out to antique dealer Alfredo Geri and arranged for a meeting between them and Perugia in Florence. Geri would be able to determine if the painting was actually the lost Mona Lisa. Perugia finally pulled the Mona Lisa out of its hiding place and stored it in a seafarer's chest. He boarded a train for Florence, feeling triumphant. Perugia met with Poggi and Jerry in the depths of the Uffizi. First, it seemed like a normal crate, full of well-worn clothes, shoes, and travel documents. Here are the words of Jerry, recording the sentiment when Perugia finally revealed his prize. Perugia lifted up the false bottom of the trunk, under which we saw the picture. We were filled with a strong emotion. Perugia looked at us with a kind of fixed stare, smiling complacently as if he had painted it himself, end quote. His mission was finally completed. But the authorities were already en route. 
Once Jerry and Poggi confirmed this was the Louvre's Mona Lisa, they turned Perugia over to the police and contacted the Louvre. It seems that Perugia's radical notion of patriotism didn't quite extend as far as he thought it would. The Uffizi Gallery was allowed to display the Mona Lisa for two weeks to sold-out crowds before it was returned to the Louvre on January 4, 1914. Perugia, on the other hand, was sent to prison for nearly a year. This seems like a slap on the wrist for such a huge theft. But then again, it wasn't until this burglary that the Mona Lisa began to truly appreciate in value. When she went missing, her face was on the cover of every newspaper around the world. Theories, leads, and critical essays were written about the theft in the two years following its robbery. The Mona Lisa was suddenly everywhere, all over the globe. Its image became iconic. Utilized in advertisements and referenced in art, movies, and books, the Mona Lisa is the best example of how the 20th century changed the consumption and appreciation of art. The ubiquity made the obsession sharper for true converts and art historians. It made the pursuit of the Mona Lisa's secrets even more important. But there was also rising indifference to the work. The more popular it became, the more critics thought the work overrated. Oscar Wilde put it well, quote, The picture becomes more wonderful to us than it really is, and reveals to us a secret of which, in truth, knows nothing, end quote. Mona Lisa was the mistress of the 20th century art world, simultaneously exploited and put on a pedestal. But is Oscar Wilde correct? Is the Mona Lisa now nothing more than a cultural meme drained of all meaning? Modern researchers refused to give up. In the shadow of its popularity, many continued to whittle away at the old theories, seeking the elusive truth behind the smile. It would be this scientific investigation into the painting that led to the breakthrough that we believe finally answers the mystery of who and what the Mona Lisa truly is, why she smiles, and what the painting represents on a metaphorical level. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch. Because this is the Turn It Up to 11 NBA Playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA Playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. And now let's continue our story. Most scientific analysis of the Mona Lisa revolves around her smile, or lack thereof. It's a turn of the lips that seems to fade and falter if one looks at the painting in the wrong way. She smiles when we aren't looking and remains neutral when we turn our gaze on her. Again, this is evidence of Leonardo's mastery of human expression. The portrait is, by definition, 
one of the most static forms of painting. And yet in the most famous portrait of all time, people can't decide whether or not they've glimpsed a woman smiling. The first effect is purely aesthetic. It's a technique known as sfumato, or Leonardo's smoke. This is easily observable, though subtle in appearance. It's a blending of tones and colors that creates an illusion of depth and volume. Artist Louis-Étienne Vatelet defines it as, quote, a manner of painting extremely soft, which leaves a certain uncertainty as to the termination of the contour and the details of the forms when one looks closely at the work, end quote. When looking at the Mona Lisa, it might surprise you to see there are no dark outlines at all separating the subject from the background. Leonardo instead used light and shadow to create the differential effect. It's almost proto-impressionism. This effect extends into Lisa herself. Her skin shifts tones across her face, as Leonardo expertly filled in some nooks with shadow and others with light. It's almost as if there is an optical illusion at work. This has played with people's minds for a long time now. Some generated some rather far-out theories, saying that Leonardo was trying to show that Lisa had facial paralysis, or that she was a sex worker missing teeth due to syphilis, or that she had post-traumatic stress after losing a child, hence the thin, dark veil covering her head. Now, none of these would be completely absurd, knowing Leonardo's expertise when it came to anatomical investigation and illustration. In fact, Dr. Vito Franco of Palermo University conducted a study of the painting, concluding that Mona Lisa, whoever she was, suffered from xanthalasma, a disorder that promotes growths of cholesterol pockets under the skin of the eyelid. While Dr. Franco wasn't trying to say that Leonardo knew she had this disease, he is saying that Leonardo had a skilled enough eye to observe and record the medical detail. But these narratives seem to stray far afield of the artistic intention, and a suitable explanation for why people find the question of Lisa's smile so disconcerting. There is a very important connection between the eyes and the smile, though. The research of Harvard professor Dr. Margaret Livingstone explains it best. Mona Lisa's smile is a foveal conception. Simple enough. But what does that mean? First, we must understand the basic structure of the eye and the functions of these separate areas. The central area of the eye is the fovea. It takes in colors and fine details. Meanwhile, the peripheral area of the eye records motion, shadows, and black and white. It's the interplay between these areas that creates our vision. And it's the same interplay that makes Mona Lisa's face so mysterious. The smile was drawn by Leonardo, unconsciously but instinctively, in low spatial frequencies. This means it is best seen from a distance or with peripheral vision. Essentially, Mona Lisa looks like she's smiling only when one is focused on her eyes. While the fovea zeroes in on that coy look, the peripheral captures the spatial frequencies around her mouth. Combined with sfumato shadows on her cheekbone, a smile is generated in our vision. Because the smile's appearance is so dependent upon our glance, it actually makes a lot of sense that people have different ideas about what's on Mona Lisa's mind. 
Leonardo's touch was so subtle that nearly any emotion can be detected in this portrait. Researchers at the University of Amsterdam uncovered that people variously sense happiness, disgust, fear, and anger in Mona Lisa. In our eyes, this is definitive proof that Leonardo succeeded in his lifelong goal to instill life itself within his art. Even at this stage in history, before the development of so many naturalistic and modern techniques, he was an artist with a unique humanistic skill. And yet, the smile proved an easier secret to crack than the original mystery of the painting. Who was Lisa? And what did she mean to Leonardo? Why did he want to invest this particular portrait with such life? The legacy of books like Holy Blood, Holy Grail ended up influencing a lot of scientists and researchers who wanted to attract attention to their studies. They determined the secret to Mona Lisa was hidden within the painting itself. Perhaps the most notable of these figures is Silvano Vincetti, the head of the Italian Committee for the Valorization of Cultural Properties. In the Mona Lisa, Vincenti found the perfect project. At the beginning of the 21st century, he began making some controversial claims. Vincetti claimed that Luigi Borgia, another member of Vincetti's Italian Committee for the Valorization of Cultural Properties, put him on the trail of the Mona Lisa. Borgia apparently discovered an old record book in an antique store. This 50-year-old volume claimed Mona Lisa's eyes contained hidden messages. In Vincetti's words, quote, To the naked eye, the symbols are not visible, but with a magnifying glass, they can clearly be seen. What adds to the intrigue is that the symbols are in the pupils, the darkest part of the eyes, so they would only be known by Leonardo, end quote. The Mona Lisa had just become the Last Supper, a mystery box full of ancient secrets. It also meant big ratings for Vincenti's various television programs dedicated to this hunt. According to their team, the hidden symbols were letters in the Mona Lisa's pupils. Vincetti claimed that one eye holds an L, or even an LV, representing, obviously, Leonardo da Vinci. As for the other eye, it was actually an S. This one was harder for Vincetti and the team to see, and more difficult for them to theorize. Once they determined it had to be an S, Vincetti wasted no time in declaring a definite answer. The S stands for Salai. In other words, Vincetti was confirming that Leonardo and Salai were secretly lovers. If you're suspicious and hypervigilant about conspiracies, this does make a strange sort of sense. If, as conspiracy theorists claim, the Last Supper reveals the secret of the love of Jesus Christ, why couldn't the Mona Lisa be Leonardo's more personal confession? Then again, the supposed symbols Vincetti discovered are indeed difficult to see even with a magnifying glass. There's also a question of how Vincenti managed to determine these things in the first place. He was never given special access to the painting like other scientists. It's kind of confounding to think he simply bought a ticket to the Louvre with his magnifying glass in pocket, fought his way through the crowd, and simply examined the painting up close. Fellow researcher Pascal Cotte the director of scientific research at Lumiere Technology doubts Vincetti completely. 
Here's what Cott had to say about this. There are cracks on the canvas, and with a lot of imagination, they could make you think of letters. Cott was suspicious of Vincetti's ultimate intentions here. After all, Silvano Vincetti's main claim to fame was as a television personality, not a scientist. While his research did lead to a boost in Italian cultural interest, the goal of his foundation, it didn't exactly seem to be based in the type of observational tactics that Leonardo da Vinci himself would have utilized. The Louvre has its own team of scientists, and following Vincetti's claims, they did their own thorough sweep of the painting. No such symbols were found, but Vincetti has never backed down from what he first said. He now invests entirely in the theory that the Mona Lisa is a painting representing both Leonardo and Salai in the female form, combining their love in a way that could never have been realized in everyday life. While Pascal Cotte remained firm in his stance against Vincetti's ideas, he was inspired to conduct his own research project that concluded in 2015. He used something called the layer amplificator method. After projecting beams of 13 various wavelengths of light, a machine collected the wavelengths that are reflected back, measuring and defining them. From there, researchers were able to reconstruct the entire chronology of the painting's creation. They determined that Leonardo performed four different phases of painting on this canvas, meaning there were three unseen layers of portrait beneath the iconic one known to the world. Cott was fascinated to discover that the third layer, the original painting, that is, revealed a completely different woman. She was younger, had finer features, and wasn't smiling at all. He believes this woman, buried beneath centuries-old paint, could very well be Lisa del Giocondo, the original sitter for the Mona Lisa from the 1503 Commission. In our eyes, this is the biggest discovery involving the Mona Lisa in decades. It's not from the claims of some supposedly ancient documents just making their way into the light of day. It doesn't depend on overreaching theories that can breach into the fantastic and unbelievable. This is hard evidence that Leonardo painted different versions of the Mona Lisa at different times, but on the same canvas. This is evidence that could bring together the two-version theory in an entirely new way. Again, the two-version theory proposed the idea that one version of the Mona Lisa, lost to time, was painted around 1503. This was the portrait of Lisa del Giocondo. The second version was painted in 1517 for a Playboy patron and became the version we know in the Louvre today. Cott's findings alter this theory and perhaps represent a definitive solution to all of the conflicting records regarding the Mona Lisa's origins. The deepest layer of the Louvre portrait, seemingly illustrating an entirely different woman, is indeed the 1503 Lisa del Giocondo painting. Leonardo declared the work a failure in 1506 and moved on to other things. But Leonardo never considered any of his art complete. It was a source of great frustration to him. This makes it very believable that Leonardo held on to his failed portrait of Giocondo for many years, as he did with much of his supposedly unfinished works. As is the case with many frustrated artists, he probably tried his hand at the old work again in quieter moments, alone in his studio. Perhaps a few of the layers of paint below our known Mona Lisa represent those returns. And finally, 
When 1517 rolled around, Leonardo was enlisted to make another portrait of a noble Italian woman. Upon examining his options, maybe he finally discovered the proper approach for the unfinished Mona Lisa. So Leonardo painted over his old work and created a new version, a combination of all those that came before. This was the painting he finished in the halls of King Francis I before his death in 1519, and the painting we know and love today. So there it is. The mystery of the smile has fallen away. It's an optical illusion performed by the interaction between two different parts of the human eye. And the historical timeline of the painting seems more clear. Leonardo began the painting in 1503, gave up on it for many years, and finally returned to it near the end of his life, imbuing it with the iconic imagery it's known for today. And yet, have we answered the most essential question? What was it about this painting that drove Leonardo to invest so much into it? Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now our story continues. Is there some secret meaning encoded within the simple facade? Was it a grand conspiracy, a la the thinking of the authors of Holy Grail, Holy Blood, and the Da Vinci Code? Was the Mona Lisa another work revealing the secrets of the Priory of Sion? The true story of the Priory of Sion, Leonardo's supposed secret order of religious historians, was itself a fraud spurred on by another conspiracy. The documents upon which both of those books were based, discovered in the Bibliothèque Nationale, weren't from the 1500s. They were planted there in the 1950s by Pierre Plantard, the leader of a French right-wing anti-Semitic group. His main goal was to slip in a genealogical record that verified him as the rightful heir to the French throne. But what about the documents implicating Leonardo as the head of the Priory of Sion? All fiction. Stuff that Plantard thought might add a little character to the faked paperwork. But Plantard should have known that the secret history of Leonardo da Vinci might prove more interesting than his own faulty claims. Whereas the Leonardo documents led to a niche literary research obsession with unveiling secrets of the ideal Renaissance man. Plantard's genealogical records were just ignored, and the hoaxer disappeared into obscurity until his death. But while the Priory of Sion was never real, and it's doubtful Leonardo ever hid anything in his work for political or religious reasons, this doesn't mean the Mona Lisa doesn't have a deeper meaning. 
There is one key detail in the Mona Lisa that ties together everything we've spoken about in this investigation. Canadian researchers in 2004 confirmed via infrared scan that the faint veil over Mona Lisa's head is definitively a guarnello. This was an Italian garment worn by women while pregnant or just after birth. Reminder here, Leonardo biographer Giorgio Vasari did mention that the portrait of Lisa del Giocondo was requested around the time of her second pregnancy. One of the foremost historical experts on Leonardo da Vinci is Professor Martin Kemp. This is what he had to say about the Mona Lisa. Quote, The occasion for a portrait was invariably triggered by a significant event. It may well be quite prosaic that this painting was to celebrate her pregnancy, but I am broadly sympathetic to the idea that she is bearing life within her. End quote. A fellow da Vinci expert is Sherwin Newland a professor of surgery at Yale and an avid student of Leonardo's anatomical studies. This is Newland on the Mona Lisa. Quote, She's supposed to be a relatively young woman in her early 20s. If you look at her hands, there's no question that she has swollen fingers. There's no question that she's holding her hands in the particular attitude that we're accustomed to seeing on the upper abdomens of women far advanced in pregnancy. End quote. So the Mona Lisa was initially begun as a portrait of pregnancy. It wasn't just a work-for-hire job for Leonardo, but yet another anatomical study, and one that fully crossed over into his theory of humanistic art. Again, Professor Kemp is quoted as saying the following, If you believe that Leonardo, in a sense, saw this inside her body, then you suddenly realize, wow, that is how he looked at her. He thinks he's really getting into the mystery of life, the cyclical nature of birth, maturity, and death, end quote. And if our theory is true, that Leonardo continued working on this original portrait of the pregnant Lisa del Giocondo, adapting and changing it for years, we have a new clue as to what connects Lisa to the strange background she overlooks. These observations arrive from another descendant of Leonardo, modern geologists, and geographers. It's a personal detail for both Leonardo and Lisa, natives of Tuscany. While the background of the portrait does seem otherworldly, many geologists and geographers claim it represents a slice of the Arno Valley in Tuscany. The bridge near the Mona Lisa's elbow bears a strong resemblance to the Buren Bridge in that valley. It crosses the Arno near the city of Arezzo. Arezzo is a few miles up the road from what is known as the Valley of Hell. It's a field covered in dramatic rocks breaking through the surface of the earth, precisely like the mountains above Lisa's head in the far distance. Perhaps the most beautiful and cohesive statement about the artistic intention of the Mona Lisa doesn't come from a historian or an art critic or even an artist. It comes from another descendant of the Renaissance, the geologist, Dr. Cherry Lewis. In her mind, this isn't just the portrait of a woman. The background and subject are to be taken in together if one wants to understand the whole work. She notes how the rocks and water together seem to form an artistic treatise, representing Leonardo's beliefs about how hydrologic forces and geologic forces create landscapes. This would be near blasphemy at the time, a counter-narrative to the biblical story of creation. But Lewis argues that all Leonardo was saying was this. 
Much like women give birth to humanity, the forces of Earth give birth as well. The Mona Lisa's landscape is an illustration of that process, of a primordial landscape being shaped by the interaction of water and rock. The Mona Lisa is connecting two cycles of birth together, representing the union of Leonardo's natural philosophy. His observations of the world and his observations of the human form combine in this work. There are layers of meaning here, biblical, scientific, artistic, and personal. All are layered within the Mona Lisa and her world. It's a transcendence of Renaissance humanism, a peek directly into the future discoveries of modern science, philosophy, and life. So, what is our final determination? Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa began life in 1503 as a portrait of Lisa del Giocondo. He believed the work a failure and never delivered it to Lisa and her husband. But Leonardo kept working on it over the years, adapting it for other commissions, like the one in 1517, and adding in personal details that made it something more than just a simplistic portrait. Instead, it became a personal and cosmic work of art that universalizes the idea of motherhood and birth. The portrait's Lisa represents the union between the humanities and science that captivated Leonardo throughout his entire life. That is the reason she smiles. The Mona Lisa, like Leonardo, knows that all things are connected through natural processes. The cycle of life and birth is not just human, but cosmic. As we are born and die, the earth rises and falls. A cradle of life within a cradle of life. This is the grand beauty of the Mona Lisa, hidden in plain sight. Don't forget to subscribe to Unexplained Mysteries on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every Thursday. Thanks for listening. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Unexplained Mysteries is written by Jack Bentel and stars Claire Delamar and Richard Rosner. <laughs>